Good morning. Yes. <laughs> Only if it's born on the 29th. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. We have some announcements. Difficulties. No, oh, you're good. Good morning. We have some announcements. Feeding the homeless this Wednesday. Right? You girls coming? Okay. Callie's coming. You can go on Thursdays. And Fritz's. They're coming. So I was reading this week in my reading, and I came across this verse in Matthew 10, verse 42. And if you give a cup of cold water to one of the least of my followers, you will surely be rewarded. That made me think, carrying like that big jug back in there where we carry it, and giving him that cold, well, cold, maybe we could say cold Gatorade. You think that counts too? It's like And then I was listening to a, a study this week, and he was talking about how you can't take it with you. You can't take anything here on earth with you, but you can send it on ahead, right? You think about that? You can send it on ahead by the works you do. <laughs> I don't know about that. So the next women's study is this Wednesday. Okay. The next men's study is August 6th at 9 a.m. I thought it was 9 p.m. I was way too late, Dad. Way too late, way too late. No, August 6th at 9 here. The next youth night is, uh, I was thinking in the summer, maybe we'd do it on Friday nights. Maybe that might be easier. Yes. No Friday nights? Yes. Well, we, can, we can talk about oh. it. Okay, maybe it, after the summer. Next summer softball, the last weekend of softball is this weekend. So. Just don't do youth group in summer. Do it in we can do that. That might be a better idea, too. Because all kids do so. Okay. So we can think about that. That sounds good. Sounds good. And then sign up for email updates if you haven't already. We're still out of the group. Don't worry. So, let's pray. Dear Father, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for this time to come together. I ask that you would just open our ears, open our hearts to receive the words that you have for us. And that we would um, be drawn closer to you. And that we would have a desire to know you. For your will to be done in our lives each and every day, even when it's not our will. Lord, I thank you for each person that you bring into our lives. You would guide us to be a light and a witness to them by the way we act, by the way we speak, by the way we conduct ourselves. <clears throat> I ask that you would meet us right here, right where we're at. You know our thoughts, you know what we're going through. That you would speak to us, that you would guide us, that you would direct us. Lord, I ask you would watch over our community. Watch over the leaders in our community and in our state and in our nation. Draw them closer to you. Guide them. I pray that they would choose to follow you. That they would make decisions that honor you. It's in Jesus' name I pray all these things. Amen.
So we're going to finish up chapter 5 today, Romans chapter 5. We'll be starting in verse 12. Andy, where's your Bible? Oh, you're just going to watch it on the screen? Okay, so Romans chapter 5, starting here in verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and the death through sin... And so death spread to all mankind, because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not counted against anyone when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam till Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the violation committed by Adam, who is a type of him who is to come, and the him who is to come is referring to Jesus. But the gracious gift is not like the offense. For if by the offense of the one that many died, much more the grace of God, and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for on the one hand the judgment arose from one offense, resulting in condemnation, but on the other hand the gracious gift arose for many offenses, resulting in justification. So on the one hand, he's saying through the sin of Adam, there was condemnation, there was an eternal separation from God, but... On the other hand, that was God's chance to reveal his gift of his son to all of us for the forgiveness of all of our sins, because we have all sinned, it says. We may not have sinned like Adam did, but we've all sinned in our own ways. So, continuing on here in verse 17. For if by the offense of the one, death reigned through the one, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So then, as though one offense, the result was condemnation of all mankind, so also through one act of righteousness, the result of justification of life to all mankind. So through one man's sin, death entered the world. Sin separates us from God. But on the other man, Jesus, God's grace entered the world. His love was able to show, show through. And that he had this plan from the beginning. So we'll continue on here in verse 19. For as though one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one, many will be made righteous. The law came in, so that the offense would increase. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, so also grace would reign through the righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that's the end of chapter 5. So let's pray. Just joking. (laughs) (laughs) No. So he he makes it clear here throughout the end. He contrasts Adam's sin, his act of disobedience, and he contrasts that with God's love. And he he shows that that Adam's sin, through Adam's sin, death entered the world. Um, But it wasn't just because of Adam's sin. We've all sinned. We may not have sinned the same as Adam, as Paul said, but we've all sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God. So all of us, Adam, all the way through, were in desperate need of Jesus Christ, of his sacrifice on the cross to take away all of our sins, not just some, but all of them. So I think sometimes 
people can read through this and think, well, if Adam hadn't sinned, how much better off would my life be, right? I've thought through that before, but that's not the, that's not the point. That's not, we're, we're looking at it short-sightedly. And we do that with our own lives where, well, if this person had done this in my life or if this situation hadn't happened in my life, my life would have been so much better off or if I didn't have to go through this trial or this problem or if this would have changed and we focus on the past and what has happened or we focus on short-sighted, what's going on right in front of us, that we stop there, but that's not where God stopped. We don't look at just what Adam did. We look at what God did and God had a plan. And in his timing, in his perfect timing, he sent his son. So no matter what we're going through in our lives, no matter what's happened in our past, God had a plan. God had a plan for each of our lives. So if we're short-sighted and only look at what's going on right in front of us, we're missing God's amazing plan. And how many times have you gone through something, through this trouble in your life or this trial or this hard time, and you think, oh, I can never get through this. You know how awful this is please i just want to get out of this and then you get through it and you look back and you think well maybe that wasn't quite as bad as i thought it was you know or something good happens in the end something good comes out of this tough time and you think well maybe that was wasn't as bad maybe that was worth it a little bit have you ever had that in your life yeah so that's kind of what's happening here you can read through this section of romans you know from Chapter 5 from verse 12 to 21, and it contrasts Adam and, and Jesus. And you can focus on the Adam part. Oh, if Adam had never sinned, my life would have been so much better. I would have been in, in paradise in the Garden of Eden walking with God. And the answer is no, that's not true. Because if Adam hadn't sinned, you would have sinned, right? We all have sinned. We all fall short of God's glory. And we all don't sin the same. So it says that, <clears throat> that we didn't sin the same as Adam, but we still sin, and it still separated us from God. But before God created the world, he had a plan, and his plan was to send his son. Um, and he made that, we've been over this, he's made that clear from the beginning. Right after the fall, right after Adam and Eve sinned, what did he do? He made it clear that he was going to send through the seed of the woman, which women don't have seed, so through a virgin birth, he was going to send his son. And his son would bring eternal life would bring forgiveness of sins, removal of sins from our lives. And we've been through that um, here quite a bit here lately. But let's take a look here at Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, starting 15. And let's look at what did God say to Adam. Because um, here Paul contrasts Adam and Jesus and, and how sin separates us from God, but God had a plan. And where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. God's love abounds much more. God's gifts that we don't deserve abound much more. That God is more powerful than sin in our lives. That the sin in our lives chains us and binds us, but Jesus can free us from that sin. And all we have to do is ask, and that's it. So, Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 15. So then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to cultivate it and tend it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may freely eat, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For on the day that you eat from it you will certainly die. So, Adam has a free reign to eat from any tree in the garden. There's only one that he can't eat from. And on that day that he eats from it, he will certainly die. He wouldn't die physically, but he'd die spiritually. That he'd be separated from God. That he'd disobeyed God. He'd let sin in, enter into his life. And sin separates us from God. And at this point, sin separated Adam from God. But not forever. God had a plan. But I have been asked recently, well... If God's such a loving God, then why did he put the tree in the garden? If he hadn't put the tree in the garden, we'd all be, there wouldn't have been sin entered the world and we'd all be living in the garden today. But that's not true. And that's not the way it works. Had God not put the tree in the garden, you would never get to see love. And that's what Paul's saying back in Romans. That without sin, 
without the law to show us what sin is, you don't get to understand what love is. Because love, we've been over this, is not a feeling, right? Love is a choice. We choose to love. So the love that God is talking about is a self-sacrificing love. The Greek word for it is agape. And it, Jesus demonstrated that love for us when he willingly went to the cross to die for our sins. He laid down his life for us. He sacrificed himself for us. That's that self-sacrificing love that we hear about. And that's the love that we're told to have. And that's the love that God demonstrates. If you don't have the tree, if Adam doesn't have that choice, then Adam can't choose to love God. And if we don't have that choice, we can't choose to love God. So why is there sin in the world? Why do we have that choice? Because without that choice, there is no true love. Because true love is a self-sacrificing love, a denying of yourself, picking up your cross, and following Jesus, right? So the tree has to be in the garden. It has to be set up this way for God to demonstrate just how much he loves us. So while man sinned and ate from the tree, and while we've all sinned and separated ourselves from God, it doesn't end there. God had a plan, is what Paul tells us. And his plan was to send his son to take our place, to be the sacrifice that we couldn't do, to pay the price that we couldn't pay, to take away our sins, to forgive us, to remove them from our record, um, to do what only he could do. So while we were selfish, God was selfless and sacrificed himself. Make sense? So let's take a look. There's another place where where Paul also contracts, um, shows the difference between Adam and Jesus. And he does this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15. So let's take a look at what he says there. And when we read through this, if we're still thinking, well, if this hadn't, if Adam hadn't sinned, if this hadn't happened in my life, my life would be so much different or, or whatever the case is, well, God knew what was going to happen in our lives. God had a plan. That may not have been God's perfect plan for us. We may have chose to sin and go down a path that he didn't originally intend for us, but that doesn't mean that he leaves us where we're at, that he leaves us lost or abandoned. He has that plan for us. He has a purpose for our lives. He knew what the decisions we were going to make, but he also knew what he was going to do. And he was going to send his son to die for us in our place. He was going to send us his Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us in righteousness, in right living, in the decisions we make. And we can choose to obey him or we can choose to deny him and live a selfish life. But that's the love. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. And that's what love is. Love is obeying, denying yourself, picking up your cross, and following Jesus. So here, we'll look at some more ways that Paul shows the difference between Jesus and Adam. So here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 20. But the fact is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man death came... By a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, after that those who are, in, who are Christ at his coming. So, by one man death entered the world, but also by one man Jesus, who was fully God, fully man, the resurrection of the dead came. The first to rise from the dead was Jesus. He was the first fruits. Um, that Jesus is the example that we're supposed to follow. He lived the sinless life. He lived the selfless life. He lived the loving life, the denying himself, picking up his cross, literally, and following God. That's what Jesus did. You see it so many times throughout the Bible that Jesus is off praying, spending hours all night praying, always seeking God's will. And we've been over this. When we pray, Jesus said we, he would give us anything we asked for, but there was some guidelines there. That was for believers, and that was when it lined up with God's will, right? And how do we know what God's will is? Well, God tells us his will in his word. 
So when it lines up with God's word, our prayers, he answers them every single time. So when God tells us to love our enemies and we pray, God, I'm really struggling right now with this person. Please help me to love my enemy. Does he answer it? Yes. Every single time. When we pray and and God tells us, pray for blessings for your enemies. When we pray, God, please bless my enemy. Does he do it? Yes. Every single time. Right? Because we're believers, one, and it lines up with his will. And we knew that because we're following his word. Right? So, But just to, to go back to here to, to 1 Corinthians 15, they talk about the first fruits, that Christ is the first fruits to rise to heaven. So today, we're going to take a look at, at what happened to believers before Jesus' death on the cross and what happens after Jesus' death on the cross and how did all that work out. And the way we know that is we'll take a look here at Luke chapter 16 starting in verse 19. So Luke 16, starting in verse 19. And we'll look at what it means for Jesus to be the first fruits. And the story here is the story of Lazarus and the rich man. Now this is not a parable. Some people often classify this as a parable. But the way you know it's not a parable is in parables. And Jesus often taught in parables. And he taught in stories because that meets people in a lot of different ways. Number one, when someone tells a story, it provokes different emotions and different thoughts for each person. So Jesus could tell stories and can teach that way and can meet many people right where they're at. But we know that this is not a parable because in parables, he never uses a person's name. Okay? So, but here in this story, he uses someone's name. He uses Lazarus. So we know that this isn't a parable. This isn't a a story to teach us a lesson, this is a, this is an actual event that's going to teach us a lesson. Does that make sense, the difference there? So, so Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 19. Now, there was a rich man, and he, habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, enjoying himself in splendor every day, And a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate, covered with sores, and longing to be fed from the scraps which fell from the rich man's table. Not only that, the dogs also were coming and licking his sores. Now it happened that the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's arms. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades he raised his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his arms. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame." But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus bad things. But now he is being comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been set, so that those who want to go over from here to you will not be able, nor will any people Crossover from there to us. And he said, Then I request of you, Father, that you send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, in order that he may warn them, so that they will not receive and come to this place of torment as well. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. But he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to them, I'm sorry, but he said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded, 
even if someone rises from the dead. So, there's a lot that goes into this event that's taking place. Um, but I think very interestingly enough at the end, that if, if they're not willing to listen to God, to listen to his word, to listen to Moses and the prophets and all that they wrote, all that they foretold about Jesus, all that they talk about God, then even if someone rises from the dead, they still won't listen. That's significant, right? So if you're not willing to listen here, are you going to listen at any other point? Is there any other event that's going to make you bring you to God? Even if God sends his own son to earth and that his son rises from the dead. And I think that what Abraham's saying is no. But there's lots of things that, that we get to, to take out of this story. Um, and the best way, I found a picture that kind of, kind of explains it. So we read here that you had the rich man who does not appear to receive the Messiah to come, doesn't believe in, in God's Messiah. And you have Lazarus, who does believe in God's Messiah. And so here we read that in the earth, in the center of the earth, they're, they're put in there. And that, that the rich man is kind of in this picture, is on the left, in the place of torment. Okay? And that there's that great chasm, or that great gulf that's in between them, so they can't cross over. And that on the right side, that's called Abraham's bosom, also called paradise, or in this case, it was called Abraham's arms, and that that's where the people, the righteous, the righteous dead went. But neither of these are heaven. Heaven is seen up above in the picture, and it's often called the third heaven. So the Jews believed there were three heavens. The first heaven was the sky, where the birds fly. The second heaven was where the stars are. And the third heaven is where God lives, where God reigns. That's how the Jews looked at it. So when they say the third heaven, they're not talking about three different heavens where God is. They're talking about the sky, the stars, and where God reigns, right? But neither one of these, but the third heaven is not where people went before Jesus. Before Jesus died, he was the first fruits we read, right? The first to enter into heaven, the first to rise. So before that, this is where people went. People went to the center of the earth, and they were separated by this great gulf. And they couldn't cross over. Once your life here on earth is done, you've decided, do I want to follow God? Do I want to believe in his Messiah to come? Do I believe in Jesus or not? And once you've decided that, there's no crossing over. There's no change in your mind. There's no amount of prayers for people here on earth that are praying for the dead that changes that. There's no amount of money that you can pay. There's nothing you can do. Once your life here on earth is done, you've decided. Do I want to follow Jesus and believe in him or not? And they make that, God makes that clear here. So there's this great chasm that separates them. They can't cross over. And it's interesting that, that God kind of turns everything upside down. So where Lazarus was, was believed in God, believed in the Messiah to come, but went through suffering here on earth, what happened after his left this life here on earth? He was comforted. He was... Um, taken care of and the opposite the rich man that had everything out here on earth that didn't need anything that was comforted here on earth is in torment on the other side god kind of flips everything upside down or turns it right side up one or the other so like we read earlier when you do something for the least of my followers you're rewarded and oftentimes people look at the homeless like lazarus here is the least you know, the least of people here on earth. But God doesn't look at them that way. God looks at them as some of the greatest. So and he, his word makes that clear. So this is what happened. Now, after Jesus died, it says that he went and set the captives free. So the, the people in the righteous, on the right side of this picture, and the righteous dead in that compartment, that's the captives he set free. They're, they're held in the earth. Jesus was the first to rise into heaven. And they followed after. So that's what, the, that's what we read about in 2 Corinthians. The first fruits. The first fruits is Jesus. Jesus is our example. He leads the way for us in everything we do. He set the perfect life for us. He set the example. He shows us how to pray. He shows us how important prayer is to depend on God, to trust in God. And that he was the first to rise from the dead. So now, Jesus has come. He's died on the cross. And he's rose from the dead. So right now... That compartment on the right side, it's empty. 
There is no one there. Jesus has set them free. They're in paradise with him. So, the other thing in this picture shows you the, the three men on the cross. Jesus on the cross in the center, and then the, the thief on the cross on the left, who still didn't believe in Jesus, but the one on the right who still did believe in Jesus. Um, yeah, so, so you have the criminal on the cross. So let's take a look at that, what happened there. And that we find just a little further down in Luke. Luke 23, starting in verse 39. So here, starting in Luke 23... Verse 39, one of the criminals who was hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other responded and rebuking him said, Do you not even fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly. For we are receiving what we deserve for our crimes. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was, and he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. So you had the thief on the cross. And where did Jesus go when he died? He went and he set the captives free right? And he was the first fruits to go into heaven. So where did the thief on the cross go that believed in Jesus? And we know that he repented. He said that, that he confessed his sins, that he justly deserved the punishment he was getting. He, this thief on the cross said he deserved his crucifixion, that he had done wrong. So he'd admitted his sins. He'd confessed his sins, but he'd repented and he'd turned the other way. He no longer was living a life for himself. He was following Jesus that he believed that Jesus was the Messiah and that he believed that Jesus would enter into his kingdom and he just asked that Jesus would remember him. So that's an interesting prayer, sinner's prayer, right? Usually the sinner's prayer goes something a lot different than Jesus, remember me when you enter your kingdom. And that's all he asked. So we don't have to get all of our words right when we pray is what you get out of this, that God hears what your heart says. And what his heart was saying was, Jesus, I believe you're the Messiah. I believe you're God. And when you enter into your kingdom, please remember me. Bring me with you. And Jesus told him, today you'll be with me in paradise. And that paradise was Abraham's bosom. That's where they went. And then after that, Jesus rose from the dead. And all of those in that compartment followed with him. So now let's take a look at what happens to us. Because this was before Jesus' death on the cross. All this happened. But what happens to us when we die? What does God say? And we find that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6. So here, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 6. So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased rather, that to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So that's the New King James Version. I think that puts it the best, makes it the, the most explainable, that we are home in this body. This is our temporary home. But while we're here, we're separate from God's presence. But we walk by faith, not by what we see. And we believe that God is in heaven watching over us, that Jesus died for us. When we believe that, we're walking by faith. And that we're confident that when we are absent from the body, we are present with God. So what happens to us when we die? Do we go to that Abraham's bosom, that compartment there? No, it's been emptied out. 
Once and for all, Jesus died for all of our sins. A one-time offering, he was the first fruits. He doesn't have to die again. He doesn't have to be the, the second fruits and the third fruits. It's a one-time deal. So for us, what happens to us when we die as believers, absent from the body, we're in heaven, present with God. That's where it ends. So God had a plan, and we can be short-sighted and look at, well, if Adam hadn't sinned, if this hadn't happened in my life, if this situation would have been different, my life would have been changed. And we can look at the past and dwell on that. We can look at Adam's situation as a present situation for us. If this trouble, if I hadn't been going through this, this wouldn't have happened. I want to get over this. I want to get through this. But if we say short-sighted, or if we focus on the past, then we miss what God's doing. And what God is doing is an eternal presence with him. That this life is very short, but a vapor, the Bible says. But all of eternity is forever. And that's where we get to be. We get to be in his presence for all of eternity. And we'll look back on this life and all the troubles and things that we thought were a big deal. We'll probably feel a little bit silly for thinking that. That it really wasn't that big a deal. That the things we were going through weren't that um, overpowering in our lives. I think oftentimes you look at kids or younger people that are going through something. And they, they tend to think that this, oh, this is, this is monumental in my life. But with some experience, when you've been through that same situation or a similar situation yourself, you can look back and say, well, that wasn't that big of a deal. That wasn't that monumental. And with experience, that comes, right? At work, you can look at people that you work with and new people come in and maybe get stressed out or upset or anxious about a certain situation at work. But when you've been there for a while, you, well, yes, this isn't a good situation, but we'll get through this. And this isn't as monumental as we make it sound. So we can choose to live in the monumental, the oh my gosh, the world's ending. Or we can choose to focus on Jesus, that he's coming back for us. That when we die, we will be present with him. And that the troubles in this life will be minor. And Paul says it best, you know, he goes through this minor persecution here on life in here in his life here on earth but his minor persecution involved him being shipwrecked stoned they thought he was dead drug him out beaten many times and those are considered minor in paul's eyes and i think those seem like some pretty monumental ones if i was going through them but when we're going through things it's not by our own strength it's by god's strength we trust in him that he will get us through that he will guide us that he has a plan for us right that he'll turn this bad situation into good not for everyone in this earth but for those who believe in him we find that in romans eight twenty eight, right that he will turn that for good and that we'll look back and say well that wasn't as bad as as i originally thought that wasn't as monumental that wasn't that big of a mountain not because um, of anything we did but because of the work jesus did because of the way that he has conquered everything he has defeated sin, defeated death on the cross. The war is over. All we have to do is choose to believe in him, trust in him, and be patient. Right? One of the fruits of the Spirit, being patient. Not easy, but that's what we're told to do. So, so that is it. Now, we're, now we can pray. Just joking. Do you have any questions? No questions? You do? You do? Okay. Well, in this case, when they're talking about Abraham's bosom, or Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise, Jesus was referring to paradise as Abraham's bosom, because Jesus died. So Jesus died, and he, um, we know that he went into that Abraham's bosom, because he went to where the captives were. He didn't go to heaven right away. It wasn't until he ascended that he went to heaven, and he was the first one to go to heaven. So we know that the righteous people that died before Jesus went to that Abraham's bosom, which is also referred to as paradise. Now, if you're asking before Jesus, now after Jesus, we go to heaven. And if that makes sense. Yeah. So that's all before Jesus. Before Jesus. The purgatory. Could be part of that. But, but, even then, I don't even know how you'd get to that because 
because in this in this event that happened, Abraham is speaking and saying, "You can't cross over. We can't come over to you. There's this great chasm, this great gulf that separates us, and you can't come over to here. It's done. This is how it is for all of eternity." So even then, I don't understand how you can get to purgatory from that because yeah. that means that. I think they put a spin on it. Yeah. Holding area before the decision is made as to where you would go. That was my. But God's word makes it clear that that the unrighteous are on one side and the righteous are on the other side. The decision's already been made, and there's no changing that after they died. That that's where that's where they chose to be before death, and that's where they end up after death. So, but I agree. Maybe that's where they get it from. I have, I have a mutual cooler. That's the reason. Um, I think understanding, because I was not even in the um, Catholic Church as much as you were, um, but anybody I've talked to, I, it's, it's an interesting, and I can't explain it. I had people, they explained it in church because they didn't understand what it was. For me, I always thought we were going to be burning for a while for our sins, and then we would get to be in heaven. That's and and honestly, if you talk to some people that are within the Catholic faith, I think they kind of are, they that's the twist on it. It's a weird. And there's lots of people that believe that think that I have to be punished for my sins. Yeah. No, you don't. That's Jesus paid the price. The he doesn't have to be crucified over no. and over again. It was a one-time deal, and He takes away all of our sins. And right. I, there's I agree. There's Lots of people, and it's, I think it's a hard thing to get over. Well, I, I deserve to be punished, you know. Well, yes, you do, but that's what grace is. We deserve that punishment, but not only does God forgive us and have mercy and remove that from us, he gives us, that's the definition of grace, getting something undeserved favor, undeserved. We don't deserve paradise. We deserve punishment. He's forgiven us, removed it from us, and given us paradise in his place right. we get an inheritance I got my, my head around it now but yeah saying, it is hard though what i'm saying is i you were taught way like you have the more of the how oh, the and it's nothing against the catholic but i have so many clients and friends that are but i think it is when i listen to them talking i have to be like you're teaching it again when dave taught it, it was like it's wrapping my head in that and, and then trying to explain that to them well, that that was, been taught a certain way. It's like they have to. And I think they do feel like it's like a, it's a learning. Like a, like well, that was interesting that you said that too. And then just bringing that all up, it was because Dan's mom yeah. kind of went, she, she was back and forth with Catholicism, but then now she's full blown. She, she pays dearly to do what she does and be, be, be this Catholic. But when he passed, she was very angry with me, but neither here nor there. She told me that she, she's paid all this money to the church and that they are praying that Dan will make it out of purgatory. Mm. Something like that. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. See what I'm saying? Yes. Because that he's going to be, he will be lifted out of purgatory. And I'm like, so that's what I was taught as well, is yep. you may or may not make it out of purgatory. Well, depending on how much you send. Yeah, how much you pay. I don't know. I don't know how much you pay. Here's what's really sad. Right. So it I have seen clients that are very, very strong Catholics in their, in their it Catholic faith. It is how much And I have one, but I, I adore her and probably one of the most amazing, but she stepped away completely because she's like, there's no way. But now she's kind of against even the whole Christianity because she said it comes down to money. You know, you know, I, I, all these things, and so she's she kind she kind of has stepped away from all of it, and and all we can do is just keep. I actually, yeah, <laughs> I just keep. and unfortunately, she <laughs> to be honest with you, when you really look at the dynamics of all of this, um, look at your brother David, Randy, and Greg, and and and, and they are exactly like that. When you are looking at Catholicism and it's so doomsday. And I don't mean that, and I, I, there's good that I've learned, and it, 
and I I'm grateful for my education and that and like you've always said, there's going to be a lot of Catholics that are, we will see them in heaven, and thank goodness they will. But I think that all being said, when I look at my own family, so many people have had such a negative experience, should I say, and so that it's turned them completely away from everything, which is really, really sad. Do you see what I'm saying? I see that in my brothers. Do, do you not understand what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Like, Matt knows, like, I, I seriously have a lot of um, clients. They are Catholic. Actually, some don't even go to church anymore because it's... They're not practicing. They're not practicing, even though they're, you know, baptized in the Catholic, married in the Catholic Church, all of the above. Um, some of the comments I've been made was it has to do with money. They don't feel like they don't even have enough money to give to even participate, which is pretty sad. Which is true. Um, and then um, even understanding, and, and it's our own family too. Look at our own mother. Well, I think we have to under that. This is what I was going to get to is. I think it's a sad. They're sad because they're like, I can't. I will never be right. able to get out of the position I, I've been put in. And that's what I see. Yeah. That's how I was not until, like I've always told you guys, until like I was like 40 years old, I was, I, I was so broken and so sad because it was like, I have done so much wrong. So many things. So yeah. bad. I'm so bad. <laughs> I can't. Yeah. I'm not going to be forgiven. I'm either going to go to hell or I'm going to go to purgatory. Yeah. And I think that's, that's where they're at. And I remember talking about the whole money thing. I remember when we used to go to church at St. Mary's and there were certain people, there was this thing, this big plaque thing in the entryway and it had all these things on it. And I remember I remember when I was little asking Dad, when's our name going to be on there? <laughs> and I remember Dad going, we don't have enough money to have our name on yeah. there. I'm thinking, oh my. You know, but it didn't resonate with me that it was money that be belonged, but it, it's it is sad. It's still sad. Well, it just doesn't follow God's word. God's word makes it clear that, but like we just read, you can't, it's done. You can't go from one side to the other. It's over. No amount of money or prayers after you died will get you there. But there are lots of people in the Catholic Church that believe in Jesus, and that's all that matters. They will get you to heaven. Yes. And all the other things, you know. But God doesn't leave them where they're at. I'm sure God, throughout their lives, like, Points many times, you know, to who he is, to who his son is, to the, what the truth is. And I think that is one thing I did. I mean, I was taught, always taught about Jesus, so you know, oh, yeah. that is good. And money absolutely can affect that. You know, and lots of churches put lots of emphasis on it, and that's why I'm very thankful to be part of a church that doesn't. You don't pass a plate, you don't talk about it, and if God wants to, well, God will provide wherever he sends you. So if he wants a church there, he'll provide. And the people that put so much emphasis on it, it's definitely sinful. God is not broke. <laughs> he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. You know, his resources are, are limitless. He's limitless. Um, so we don't need to limit him. You know, and if he doesn't want a, a church or an organization there and it's not being provided for, people need to accept that and follow his will. But oftentimes people don't. They, I have to make this happen. You know, oh, if you'd only give more, you'd be blessed. And if you do this, you'd be blessed. And it's all, it's not true. None of it is. So. There's so many, I don't know, Danny's guys say, I can't, you know, I can't afford to give a lot of money, but I give my time. I give service. Yeah. And he'd be like, I think you know, I cannot afford to bring a tractor or to do this or to do that. And that was his heart. I think that's important too. Oh yeah. You know, to share your, your whatever your gifts. Your gifts. Mm -hmm. so. And giving financially is important, you know. It is. But it's kinda Jesus talked about the, the woman that gave the two mites to yeah, you know, very little that she gave more than everyone else. Well she gave from her heart. Yeah. You know. And and God does make it clear that when you give that that's the one area of scripture he tells you you can test them on. He'll bless you. So.
So it, it does happen. And it does, but that's one of the areas where it takes faith. You know, like you said, well, it's a struggle for us to give, but it takes faith. But then God always provides somehow, some way. Even when you don't see it, oh, this is impossible. Somehow, some way. And so many times, over and over again, you get to hear these stories from people. You know, well, God provided. Somehow this happened or that happened and you know, we were able to make it through. You know, so he always provides. Uh, yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. So, for the prayer. Should we pray? Yes. Dear Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your love, your mercy, your grace. I thank you for the ways you guide us, the ways you provide for us. I thank you for meeting us right where we're at. Lord, I ask you would bring healing to Matt's knee. You would bring comfort and guidance for Tim. You would bring comfort for Austin and Joey and Chris. Um, you would bring just patience and wisdom and strength to Cherry and to Shannon and to all the family. That you would um, bring peace for David. You would bring healing for Christina in her heart. You would guide the doctors in their treatment. Um, you would bring healing for Tyler's shoulder. You would bring healing to Rodney's back. Um, you would pray and bring healing to Leslie's eyes. You would guide the doctors. Um, and that for us this week, that you would give us your words to speak. In all that we do, that we'd be a light and a witness to you. I ask you would watch over us, you'd guide us. I ask you'd watch over the sheriff's department and the police department here and around us, that you would protect them physically, you protect them spiritually, that you would watch over their families, protect them. That you would watch over for a church um, in Uganda for us to come alongside, to partner with, to support. It's in your mighty name I pray all these things. Amen. Amen. Amen.